From Five Hairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. Well, I mean, we're basically at the end of the year, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Really crazy. Indeed. It really is. I don't know, man. I don't. 2021. Like, what's there to say about it? <laughs> I know we're going to talk about it a lot, but. <laughs> I have a question for both of you. Yeah. This is, a, this is something for me that I always kind of struggle with. Do you guys enjoy the various, like, year in review, like your own personal, like, year in review stuff? Like, you know, people obviously get, you know, go, some people go really kind of like hog wild for their, like, Spotify year in <laughs> review or whatever, right? Like, I kind of don't love to see my behavior summed up yeah so i don't, do I don't want to see it <laughs> i don't do i don't even i don't even check it and then i'm definitely not someone who posts it like yeah yeah i that's like not my thing um but you know i don't know it, it's it's weird to sort of look back the year goes you know feels like it's so long at points and then it goes by so fast and mm-hmm. yeah i don't know it's it's uh it's it's always so strange and like are we always excited to move forward to the next year? Like this year for sure. Um, but I feel like this year has been weird, a weird one because of COVID where, you know, last year we kind of felt like with the vaccines and stuff, we were like done with it all. Mm-hmm. We were like such mm-hmm. a amazing new year's Eve in a lot of ways. I mean, dude, you know, Anderson Cooper, uh, got really drunk on CNN. Uh, you know, it was, it was really amazing, uh, with, with his, with his best boy, Andy Cohen. Uh, you know, like everyone was getting drunk on new year's Eve last year because people were like, Oh my God, it's over. And I think, you know, we're, we're recording this at the exact time that, you know, New York City is going through a massive Omicron, yeah. you know, wave. wave. So it's just, it's kind of crazy. So I don't, it's always so it's it's tough to yeah, look back. But before we talk about sort of the year in review, uh, let's talk about the week in review. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joanna, what you been drinking? Um, so I had recently the pleasure and the privilege of having some Weller Twelve Year. Whoa! Yeah. Yeah. My my brother was gifted a bottle from nice. a friend. It's a in nice exchange, friend in exchange for television, I guess. Um, That's a really nice friend. Yeah. In exchange, like, like like he gives him the passwords to like his Netflix and stuff. No, he gave him a TV. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's, a, yeah. that's an even nicer guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in exchange for television. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I've never had Weller before. How was uh, it? It was really amazing. Yeah. I actually I had Pappy a really long time ago, a very small pour mm-hmm. that I don't really remember, but. This is nice. Nice. It's a weeded bourbon. Very delicious. So. Yeah. Weller's. I used to buy uh, Weller. For $20. Like, yeah, all the time. <laughs> all, yeah. Like, all the time. Like, Weller Not so much shit. anymore. It's crazy. I used to, actually, I would, um, when I was first living in New York City, and I discovered it at a, like, a bar called Back 40. Mm-hmm. Um, Love Back 40. And they had told me about it. Uh, Josh and I both used to do this. We would, like, go buy it and then dump it into a <laughs> whiskey decanter. Because we didn't want anyone to know because it was a cheap whiskey. Mm-hmm. We're like, we don't even know we're serving Weller. You know, this, like, this was like a $25. And now it's like, whoa, you can't wow. even get it. It's really crazy how that happened to that mm-hmm. brand. Um, and it's, it's interesting, too, to watch how um, Buffalo Trace has changed the packaging of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks fancier it looks now. Nice. And you're like, oh, it didn't look like that when I used to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Smart. you know, anyways, mm-hmm. that's awesome, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach, what about you? Let's see here. Well, I think there are two things that have been uh, on my list for the last week. So one of them is uh, non-alcoholic. My wife and I have become kind of like quasi-obsessed with this uh, specific sparkling water. The brand is Nixie, and it's their Nixie. lime ginger. And Nixie? It's Mixie? Nixie. N-I-X-I-E. Never and heard of Yeah. And it's like, it's like basically if you had a Moscow Mule flavored um, sparkling water without the booze part – 
Um, but it's like the the lime and ginger both come through really clearly. And it's just mm. like that's such a great combination of flavors. And, yeah. you know, like we've been through over the years, I mean, God knows how many sparkling waters in our house. Um, but this one is like, like we got like a case and like the next day my wife was like, I'm ordering five more. And I was like, <laughs> okay, sounds good. Um, and it's part of it's like, you know, we have slightly different tastes in sparkling water. So when it can align, that's nice for both uh, shopping and fridge space reasons. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's been a surprise hit for us. Um, and then on the boozy side, um, I think the most fun thing I opened was, so, you know, when Caitlin and I got married, we bought um, a lot of wine for the wedding, unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, we had, you know, as, as I think a lot of people do, we decided, you know, we're going to kind of just offer a white wine and a red wine. We're not going to try and have too many options for people, you know, just both from a sort of logistical standpoint and just to keep things from being too chaotic for the service mm-hmm. staff that mm-hmm. were, you know, serving us. Um, and so we, we've been slowly but surely making our way through both, although we have more of the white wine left over uh, than the red, because that's uh, not a surprise how it went down at the wedding itself. And so the other day we opened a bo- one of the, I think, three remaining bottles of the red wine, which is the 2014 Ex Umbris Syrah from Owen Rowe here in Washington. And it was just kind of a nice, like, like it was both nice in the sense of like, oh, here's a thing that we could, you know, like reminisce about our wedding and we could tell Solomon like, hey, we had this when we got married, which he's like just barely old enough to kind of comprehend. That's sweet. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, um, but it was also interesting because we were both like, we should probably drink these other two bottles pretty soon. Like it's not ba- past its prime, but it definitely doesn't have a lot more life in it, which I mean, whatever. We bought it to drink in 2017. It's not like we bought it to drink forever we bought other wines to drink way in the future but it is like a good reminder for us to like okay some of the stuff that's in our you know in our basement or whatever mm-hmm. we need to actually drink um and so that has been a little bit of a uh, motivating factor so i'm sure we will get into those mm-hmm. other two bottles pretty soon how cool. about you adam mm-hmm. uh so gosh i had um two kind of like really cool experiences this last week but i'll talk about one of them specifically which is um so I was really very, very lucky to have been gifted a truffle. Mm. Oh, a white um, truffle. A white truffle. Wow. So I Man, came home. And you didn't even have to give anyone a bottle of bourbon for it. Yeah, I came home <laughs> on uh, on Saturday morning, on Saturday evening, and there was this box uh, in my sort of common area of my apartment building addressed to me from um, Walter Fisori, who owns Konyo. Mm. And Aww. it was a white truffle. And uh, so... Is this say, because of last week's podcast when uh, I said it was one of your favorite? <laughs> I don't know. I think that I think Walter... Uh, Walter's always been a big supporter of Vine Pear. And mm. he's always sent me a Christmas gift. But it's always been like something, you know, some fresh pasta or things like that. But it was a white fucking truffle. Wow. So uh, I then proceeded to call Keith. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, uh, you know... My brother and Nebbiolo love, and uh, <laughs> we got got together on Tuesday night, and I will just tell you what we drank. <laughs> we drank a ridiculous amount of Barola. So we had we had the Barolo Rivera, mm-hmm. that is the Cogno. Like that was the best wine of the fucking night. Mm-hmm. It was two thousand and eleven, and it was with the painting on it. No, it's mm-hmm. it's the other one. So. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it has a little bird, mm-hmm. and then his daughter has updated it with her Brico Parniche, which is the one with the bird that you and I had together. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this really, really cool producer named Julia Negri. She's a like twenty four year old. Wow, Kermit Lynch now brings it in, um, but her wine was really amazing. She makes it in a 
much more Burgundian style. It was much, you know, it's much fruitier, more floral. Mm. That one was really delicious. Uh, we had a, a Brovia Barola that was really delicious. Um, Pio Cesare. But there was one that we were very confounded by. And that was, we had the Roagna Barbaresco Paillet 2015. This is like the hottest wine among Psalms in New York City. Like it's super allocated. Mm-hmm. I happened to have a bottle and no one, not not just Keith and I, like no one who we'd had over, we had my, my wife's cousin and her husband as well. Like we just could not understand why it's so popular. Oh. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's very lean. It's mm-hmm. like... It's not what I think Barbaresco is known for. Like it doesn't have all that be- the beautiful florals and the you know it was very just high acid mm. and hmm. lean. I guess is the best way to describe it, right? And so I, I don't know. Like it, it, was, it almost felt like a Nebbiolo fronting as a Burgundy. And I and I always wonder like is that why it became popular then? Like was it mm. you know did this become among like certain circles? Oh well, this is our version of a Burgundy. Like mm-hmm. so you know and then. I don't know how that happens in New York. Like then a bunch of people talk to each other and then a bunch of different beverage directors are all ordering the same thing and then it becomes allocated. I have no idea. Hmm. Um, but it was a wine that used to be run, used to be very affordable on the market and now it's become insanely expensive. Really? And so, yeah, I just kind of was like one of those wines where I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Like mm. if it was, if it was the price it had used to been, you know, which I think is in the, it was used usually in the fifties or sixties, I would have understood like, this is a nice wine for 50 or six bucks. It's now upwards of 200, 250. And I just couldn't wrap my head around that mm. so yeah but so th- that was my experience though but it was really fun and i mm. would encourage any everyone i want to do it every year now i want to buy a white truffle i want to make fresh egg pasta mm-hmm. and uh-huh. then i made a like literally buttercream sauce mm-hmm. and just shaved the shit out of it all <laughs> over the top and it was amazing wow what, that what did you so use good. to shave it uh oh i bought a, a truffle shaver. I, I bought a truffle fa- <laughs> shaver. so so what i did when i saw that it was a truffle i first called keith then <laughs> I immediately went to Amazon and primed a truffle shaver. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't. It wasn't the sharpest blade. I will say it didn't. I, I probably got a too cheap of a one. I didn't. Next year I'm up my game. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was my. Uh, that was my best. Probably my my first like big holiday moment yeah mm-hmm. that definitely seems like it could be a nice holiday tradition moving forward it was cool yeah so let's let's get into it uh so 2021 i mean <sighs> you're done i joined the vine pair team in 2021 that's a highlight yeah. that's a highlight <laughs> that's a very big for highlight me. yeah for all of us for all Absolutely. of us um but wh- what else do we think besides obviously like welcoming joanne to the team um this year like i think i'd ask both of you what 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 stands out to you is one of the the key moments in what happened in sort of the world of drinks or drinks in restaurants, bars, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Joanna, what about you first? Well, I was actually reading uh, reading a time New York Times newsletter this morning, and they had a, a there's an article about like the many cultural moments involved reassessing the past, and I feel like we definitely saw that in the world of drinks. Yeah. Looking back, bringing back old trends and and comforts. So our Cosmo revival, of course, and the espresso martini. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a fun drink trend and yeah. kind of something that a lot of people were talking about. I think it was particularly interesting because a lot of people could participate in it mm-hmm. in a way that a lot of drinks trends feel, you know, kind of snooty or yep. inaccessible. But this is like, yeah, we're bringing back the Cosmo. Like my mom knows the Cosmo. Your mom probably knows the Cosmo. Yeah. Everyone, you know, everyone's mom knows the Cosmo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You got to do the mom test. 
Um, so yeah, I thought that was a, a cool trend that we saw this year. So quick anecdotally, uh, so Naomi never like has, uh, like cap like espresso or whatever when we go out after dinner, you know, mm-hmm. she likes Amar- Amari. Yeah. She likes Amari. <laughs> we, yeah. Now we all know this. And, uh, like uh, last weekend, um, she was at like a, a restaurant with her friends and she ordered an espresso martini. She's like, Oh, like, you know, I've, you know, Adam's been saying it's like the cocktail. And it was like one that was, they made it. They had Amaro, Amaro in the espresso oh, martini. Nice. And, uh, you know, then she did her thing and her other friends came home. We went to bed at like 4am. I'm getting tapped on the shoulder. <laughs> I can't sleep. <laughs> There's this too much fault. caffeine. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you had an espresso martini. She's like, I'll never do it again. <laughs> Guys, it's a brunch drink. Yeah, it definitely is a brunch. I think it's it is a brunch drink. It should be if at night, man, because they're all using now like cold, cold brew, brew concentrate mm-hmm. and shit. Like yeah. that shit is legitimate <laughs> caffeine. Yeah, it's very funny. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Zach, what about you? So I think one of the trends to me that was most noticeable this year was, I guess what I'll I'll, I'll group it together as sort of gimmickry. And mm. I think we saw this uh, in a couple of different categories. We've seen it a lot in hard seltzer. You know, we subjected ourselves to the <laughs> Bud Light Seltzer flannel pack, but there have been any number of of those, both from Bud Light Seltzer, from Truly, from others, kind of trying to use this sort of combination of, you know, going viral on social media and just kind of, you know, offering mm-hmm. something new and goofy. Uh, but like you even saw it just very recently with like the Barefoot and Oreo collab, mm-hmm. you know, you're Arby's. seeing it. In, Arby's, yeah, or yeah. fry vodka, etc. Et mm-hmm. And and I think that gimmick is a really interesting. You know, I, I, I mean, curious both your both your thoughts on this because on the one hand, I think it, my my instinct is it's the sign of you know sort of a bunch of people kind of just flailing around uh, brands or or companies flailing around trying to kind of grab onto some momentary sales without really being concerned about any kind of follow ups. I mean, the thing I think we talked about when we tried the Bud Light Seltzer flannel pack is like, could we imagine someone buying this, drinking it, and then going and buying another? And I I think our general conclusion was like, probably not. Mm -hmm. And that people, if they bought it, were buying it for the novelty, which, you know, maybe works if you, if you kind of correctly assess the amount of inventory you need to produce and you have it on the shelf for a little while, then it's gone. But it feels very unsustainable to me. At the same time, I will say this, that sometimes through it's through these kind of things that feel gimmicky at first that long-lasting, successful brands are born. And sometimes they seem gimmicky on the face of it, um, and then all of a sudden we look up and in a few years it's an established thing. So I think it can be difficult sometimes in, in the near term to assess, well, this is a, obviously just a gimmick that will never return, mm-hmm. and what is the beginning of something that will be successful – but I, but it, but to me, that sort of gimmickry, that novelty, has been a huge part of beverage alcohol this year. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with you. What is an example of one where you think maybe not, obviously not from this year, but from years past, that it's caught on, that it was initially like a gimmick? I mean, I think like I'm going to go back a little bit farther, but I think like you've seen it with you saw a big a big success with it, um, you know, a decade ago or so with with flavored vodkas, right? Like, I think there were a lot of those things that had, Mm. like, I remember when, like, Pinnacle whipped cream vodka first appeared in my life and being like, this is not, like, how how can this be a thing? And then it was a, like, a well, or at least a a, a pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty, (laughs) pretty common, or or like, I mean, I even think probably like Firefly, right? Sweet tea vodka, like, all Mm. those things, I think, 
uh, you know, for a certain set of people at least, looked gimmicky at first. Like, why would someone want this? Mm-hmm. Uh, screwball. You know, or, 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 yeah, Screwball's a good example. Or, like, re- the last couple of years, I think some of, like, the Crown Royal flavors. Like, it's hard to know to some extent whether those things are, you know, where there's a, that line between sort of, like, innovation and, go- and novelty mm-hmm. and gimmickry is all very kind of hard to parse in the moment. And sometimes mm-hmm. you just kind of have to stick, look at what sticks around and go, like, oh, okay, this actually works so people like it, they keep buying it. I mean, that's the big telling right. thing, right? Is does someone mm-hmm. buy a bottle or buy a can or buy a 12-pack or whatever and come back to it? Or do they buy it once, say like, okay, I put it on social media, whatever, I'm done with it. And that that mm-hmm. we won't know for a lot of these things until mm-hmm. probably a year from now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have thoughts here, but a lot of them I'm not going to share because they're <laughs> around one of my predictions for next year. Okay. <laughs> we'll save it for the next episode. Uh, but, one, but, the episode. but partly – one of the thoughts I have, which is not around my predictions, is I do think a lot of the, what do you want to say, gimmickry, et cetera, has come from, in many in many places, uh, agencies and marketing departments, mm. but mostly through agencies first, telling brands, this is a cheaper way for you to get massive press than a sponsored ad campaign with a publisher. Right. So like, you know, you have, you, you want to, everyone's about content now. Right. So, you know, you can have two choices. You can either go to a publisher like us or vice or whatever, and you can work with their content studio and you can create really great content together for their platform. Or you can throw up one of these things that's going to get you a bunch of eyeballs, but like who knows if that's going to ultimately prolong your brand. Mm -hmm. And I think you hear that a lot. I mean, in the even in the press releases we get, right? It's like, hey, how many, what can we do that feels sort of interesting enough or gimmicky enough that uh, uh, that Pure Wow covers it mm-hmm. and Bustle covers it and, you know, and uh, Vine Perry probably wouldn't, but like mm-hmm. those publications and is that, you know, potentially for the amount of money you put into the development of that, et cetera, still cheaper than running massive campaigns with those publishers. And that's, that's definitely seemed to be something that I, when I speak with like agencies and, and things, they're pitching to brands. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, I think like that's one audience, of the audience development slash consumer, like uh, broadening your consumer base. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, you, you got to wonder there. I, I think we're also just in the world of media going to see this coming year, but we see saw this year as well. A lot more people getting very niche mm-hmm. and seeing that like niche is actually where there's scale. And so I wonder if you may see some of these gimmicks go away because all they are is scale. Mm -hmm. So they may get massive amounts of press, but then like how many people came into that one specific category because of that gimmick or how many people went and bought, you know, Arby's, whatever, French fry vodka, vodka, right? Mm -hmm. Like probably not a lot of people. And like, did it also cause people to go buy more Arby's? Like probably not. Right. So, uh, I think that that's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see because people are going to start to wonder, whereas there's, you know, there's been a lot of proof you can see in terms of just what's happened in media in the last few months with the Vox, you know, merger with uh, group nine, stuff like that, that people are interested instead now in, in on the media side of like very niche publishers who speak to a very specific audience who mm-hmm. then are the people that people want to listen to. So I, I, I think it's, I think that's one thing to explain it. And I think the other thing is part of my prediction for 2022. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> sure. we'll call that a teaser for the uh, yeah. predictions episode. Come on. It's only, it's only in a week or two. So people can wait. People oh, you got to wait till 2022 for that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, it's too, it's in, it's very soon, <laughs> very soon. Like, right. It's two weeks away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I always, I always thought it was so funny, like when you were in like high school or whatever, and you'd be leaving. For, See, you next, See you next year, and I'm like, yeah, you mean in two weeks? Cool. <laughs> um, so one of the ones, one of the things that I was just really 
sort of the year in review for me is just the what we saw happen sort of in the world the in innovation around dining and mm. and bars and uh, you know how i think a lot of restaurateurs and bar owners got really creative but not just that how i th- how you saw a lot of people still open new places mm-hmm. and there was a lot of predictions Surprising. at the beginning of covid like everyone's going to leave the industry no one's going to want to open a restaurant or a bar anymore and like yeah, there were definitely people that left the industry, but there's a lot of people that actually have become very innovative through the pandemic and who came in and opened new spots, opened new bars. I mean, you have in New York, like you have Sunken Harbor Club that opened after the pandemic. You have Dame mm-hmm. that was, you know, a, a fish and chip spot that sort of was born out of the pandemic and now is this hot spot where people like to go and drink wine. You have Runner Up in Brooklyn mm-hmm. that, you know, was a basically a rotisserie chicken to go. And now he's opened this amazing all outdoor restaurant with a ridiculous wine list. So, I mean, I think there's all these things that came out of it and, and people who still are really willing, not just willing, but excited to open restaurants and bars. And so I think that proves like there's something about restaurants and bars that will always be very important to the fabric of society. And there will always be people who want to open them. Will they be the same people who got fucked in COVID? Maybe not. You know, some are for sure. Some are. Um, but I thought that was really interesting to really see that happen. And, you know, and it seems that they're still willing to even through all these different waves we're going through. So um, that was a really interesting sort of development that, again, I think just proves at the very beginning when, when all that when all the hot takes come out mm-hmm. from publications that may not be as close to a certain industry, like take them with a grain of salt, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about this a lot on this podcast when it comes to seltzer and like everyone else wanting to be like, it's dead, it's dead, it's dead. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no one's looking at the numbers, right? And the right. same, you know, there was a bunch of publications that wanted to say very early on, like, this is the end of restaurants. This is the end of bars. I'm like, it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think an interesting point to that is like, I think it, that spirit of continuing to move forward has been true, not just in specifically in restaurants and bars. Mm-hmm. A piece I was just reading um, on a, a great website that's a, like a local resource here, Washington Beer Blog, mm-hmm. uh, was talking about all the open, the breweries that have opened in the last 18 months. And uh, the Kendall Jones, who's the guy who runs it, cited um, a number from the Brewers Association that we're, we had a, a 6% increase in breweries that opened in 2021. So it's a little slower than it, the, than that pace had been pre-COVID, but that still like shows you that people have not been afraid to, to start new projects or to expand mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, I will give uh, you in particular credit on this, Adam. This is something that you said on our predictions episode for 2021 that came out, uh, you know, almost a full year ago, that you, you thought that those predictions of doom and gloom were really uh, misplaced and that you thought there were going to be a lot of openings and innovation. And I think you were spot on. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate that. Zach. Um, yeah. You want to switch it up and go again, give your, give your second me. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I think to me that uh, another big trend that that was really interesting and we've covered in a few different ways on this podcast was, and fits maybe into this idea of expansion or, or growth in its own way was, you know, this uh, accelerated shift to some of the most exciting food and drink destinations in the country being outside of big markets. Um, so whether they're in, you know, medium sized or small cities or even more remote locations, you know, kind of either resort or, or vacation destinations or just where people can afford to operate and open the kind of mm-hmm. establishment that they want. It's obviously not a completely new phenomenon, obviously, but at the same time, 2021, I think, felt like where we saw a lot of really high profile examples of this um, yeah. trend catching on more than uh, ever before. 
Yeah. And mm-hmm. and this real idea, and I think, you know, like we, we talked about this a lot um with your beloved horse in. Hmm. Um and uh yes, and it just, is. you know <laughs> and just in general, the the you know, you've you both of you, Adam and Joanna, have mentioned places that you've visited and your travels over the last few months, you know, that are definitely outside of um not just outside of New York City itself, but even outside of the kind of what you probably would consider the the New York metro area. And you know, it's incredible to watch all the growth. I mean, here in Washington State, there's been a lot of really exciting stuff opening on the coast. Um, people have recognized that there's, you know, a big opportunity for people who are vacationing on mm-hmm. the Washington coast who, you know, previously had not had much in the way of either um, find, you know, not fine dining exactly, but high end dining and or places to stay. And both of those have um, opened. Uh, there have been a few examples of that. And you see it just kind of all over people recognizing that, you know, people will will go out of their way either in their vacations and then want the same kind of dining experience, drinking experience that they have where they live, or they will travel for a great restaurant, a great bar, mm-hmm. uh, yep. which is really cool. I think super exciting. I do too. Yeah. Okay. I'll go next. Um, this is less fun, but <laughs> I think, I think this year and as a continuation from 2020, there have definitely been more conversations around, accountability and Mm -hmm. transparency and you know we had the whole one of the biggest uh reckonings in craft beer um around sexual harassment and um just uh working conditions and misogyny and misogyny and all the all the horrible things and i think that's you know as awful as all of that stuff is to kind of um dredge up i think it's really positive for yeah. the industry moving forward. I mean, we talked about it only a few weeks ago with, um, you know, our court of master psalm, uh, psalms and uh, everything happening there. So I think this is a a very very positive um, positive uh, for for the industry, and I hope it continues into twenty twenty two. I agree. Mm-hmm. I really, I very very much agree. Um, I think, you know, for my, my last sort of year in review, uh, look back, the one other thing that I saw that was, you know, just, we, we've talked about it a bunch, but it's just insane to see it continue to grow. It's just the sort of insane growth and popularity in agave Mm -hmm. tequila specifically, but all things agave. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just on fire. And I do worry for 2022 in the future what that means for the people in Mexico who yep. farm agave and, you know, the land in which it's farmed. And are we going to harvest too much? Are we going to harvest too early? Mm-hmm. How are we taking care of those people? I think those questions are starting to be asked. I think there's starting to be a little bit of a, a sort of blowback against some of the celebrity tequilas or just rich white people tequilas mm-hmm. who are going down to Mexico and creating them. Um, and a little bit more of a, you know, focus on tequilas being made by people who, you know, are from Mexico and, you know, understand the land and are giving back to the communities in which these tequilas are made. Um, but it just, it, there seems to be like just no slowing down of people's thirst for it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and will we see like a 1942 killer in 2022? Who knows? Like it's just so insanely popular as the the premium brand right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but you can ter- certainly see tons of people trying, right? Mm-hmm. And I and my sort of little prediction here that I wouldn't give next, you know, in 2022 
is I don't think it's going to come from a tequila that's trying to rip off a package that looks a lot like 1942. Mm-hmm. It's going to come from somewhere else, right? Like it's it's going to look like something different, right? You you saw all the fast follows who tried to make packaging look like Patron, and guess what? Like they're not Patron, mm-hmm. and it's going to be the same for for people who are chasing 42. Um, and I think we're going to get a little tired of all the celebrity stuff. Um, it's just yeah. a lot. And I think people are starting to say like, what does this person have? And look, I mean, even see this recently with, uh, you know, ABI very quickly killing an agave based seltzer mm-hmm. cacti, which we try. Well, on the agave based or... <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. Right. But it has, you know, has agave nectar in it or whatever. And look, a lot of it's because the product was, sorry, please pardon me, dog shit. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but also because guess what? A lot of people died at his concert mm-hmm. and you have to deal with the liability when you're dealing with, uh, you know, someone who's a celebrity, but also mm-hmm. kind of does whatever they want. And I think Budweiser is kind of like, yeah, we're not going to, we don't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we don't want to deal with that at all. And I think you're going to start seeing other brands question whether they're willing to also deal with that. Um, I hope it's, I hope it's more widespread consumer questioning yeah, I think of it will these be. brands. Like when you see, 818 doing yeah. so well and so hot like man i wish i wish more people knew yeah i think yeah. there will be some um look i get it some people think it's just cool to drink Clooney's tequila so i gosh yeah i don't know if it's gonna be if it'll be something that uh it definitely will happen in the trade right i think you're mm-hmm. definitely gonna see the trade more and more and more be like, sorry, like, please don't, please don't come talk to us about that. And I think you'll have a lot of brands like, we don't understand, like, why the trade doesn't want to take a, you know, a meeting about, you know, Casamigos. It's like, well, because they don't want to pour it here, you know, because they don't stand behind, you know, they can't stand behind it. They don't think it's a legitimate, you Mm -hmm. know, tequila. But I mean, you'll always have the thing where like the dive bars and what, and the local bars will pour it because like the the consumers come in and ask for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's really tricky. I think the only way is that it will, I think the thing you might see with consumers questioning Mm -hmm. is like how involved is the actual celebrity. Right. Right. So like, are they just sort of a face or are they someone that truly like believes in and runs the brand? I think part of the reason that aviation was so, is so successful is because like Ryan Reynolds seems all in on that product. Mm -hmm. And so that I think for people who are fans of Ryan Reynolds, it, it makes them feel better about also liking that gin mm-hmm. because it's like, Oh, this is legitimate. He's not just being paid to talk about this. Whereas, you know, there are other products out there that the celebrity, I mean, Pitbull has a tequila, like I don't, but I don't even think it's his, you know? So mm-hmm. th- those are things that are much, I think harder for people. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think around tequila, especially totally around tequila. Mezcal. Yeah. Let's maybe let's slow down with the celebrity tequila releases. Yeah. Um, well, this has been interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, 2020, one was crazy, guys. We got one more episode left before we, you know, kiss this year goodbye. So I, <laughs> I'm not going to say see you next year or see you Tuesday uh, because, you know, I know it's You're Monday. You're going to see us on Friday. Because I'm going to see you on Friday. Yes. Um, but it is, uh, it's, it's been a hell of a ride. It's mm-hmm. been a hell of a ride. We were working from home in the office a little bit, back from home, <laughs> back in the office a little bit. Zach's always been in his basement. Um, <laughs> I, I recorded a couple episodes in New York with you guys. That's yes, true. We all recorded together. <laughs> That's actually true. That was nice. That was, yeah, that was what? That was two episodes, three. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you were back to the basement. That's true. Well, we can call it, I'll call it the cellar. I just feel like Thank the cellar you. sounds yeah. a little bit douchier. Well, but the know. basement sounds <laughs> creepier. Yeah, but all around the country, they have basements, just not here. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> I'm going to the basement. All right, guys. Well, I'm headed to the basement, but I will see you both on Friday. See you Friday. 
Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, Vine Pair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the Vine Pair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.